Welcome to our study of the book of Genesis and Daily Drive Time Devotions. This is day two, chapter two, as we're going through a chapter a day this time instead of our usual chapter a week to walk through the book of Genesis. Yesterday in Genesis 1, we looked at the truths of God in the beginning, God's word to start the day, God's joy to end the day, God's steps in the process, and mankind at the center that we're made in his image. There's a sixth thing that you and I need to understand about how God created that helps us to come to grips with his purpose for our lives every day. And it's in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Genesis 2, 1 to 3 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The sixth thing to remember in creation that applies to my life today is rest at the end. Why did, why did God rest? Have you ever asked yourself that? It sure, surely wasn't because he was tired. I mean, God's perfect. He is all-powerful. He doesn't need to rest. So why did he rest? Well, there's three reasons. One, because he was finished. The seventh day, God had finished the work that he was doing, so he rested. God's work, Hebrews 4.3 says, was finished from the time that he made the world. He finished what he was doing. This is extremely important, extremely important. That says that this world, this universe, is not some vast, unfinished symphony. The world and the universe are not works in progress, getting like better and better. The universe is a finished work of creation that has been marred by the presence of sin and that's gonna be restored by the glory of Jesus Christ. That's a worldview, that when you get a hold of that worldview, it helps you to see everything for what it really is. Do you see the incredible difference that makes in the way that you and I think about the world around us? Think of it as a house, a house with only a frame completed or a Victorian mansion that's sitting right beside it that's been neglected for years. The universe is not the house that only has the frame completed and needs more work to be done on it by somebody who's willing to put in the labor. It's the Victorian mansion. The beauty's already there. It's just been neglected. It's been wasted. One needs finishing, the other needs to be restored. This universe doesn't need to be finished. God already did that. We're the ones who messed it up. And through Jesus Christ, he is willing to restore it first in us and then in all the universe. We need restoring. You want to experience God's purpose in your life? You don't just try to do better. You ask for God's restoring power. God rested because he was finished. God rested also to give us an example to follow. Over in Exodus 20, God commands us also to rest. Work and get everything done during six days each week, but on the seventh day, it's a day of rest to honor the Lord your God. God rested to give us an example of rest. The question is, do you rest? Do you rest one day a week? You were built to. God made us that way. He made us to work six days and rest one day. If you don't rest, just like an engine that's overstressed, built only to go at this certain number of RPMs, and you run it higher, it's going to break down. If you don't rest, you'll break down physically or emotionally. You'll, you'll break down. Now, how you rest, that's between you and God. All kinds of people want to tell you how you have to rest. That's a favorite hangout of legalists. But that you rest, God says, this is my command, and I've given you an example to follow. He also did this to fulfill his plan for the ages. Hebrews 4, 9 to 11 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. This is talking about, instead of depending on myself for salvation, my works, I rest from that. I depend on the work that Jesus Christ did for me. 
God is showing us here the truth of salvation, even in the way that he created. God rested from creation. Now, that doesn't mean he rested from holding the creation together. He is still holding it together, but he rested from this work of creation. Now, in verses 4 to 9, we get more detail on the creation of man. God creates Adam from dust, and he's going to create Eve from Adam's rib, and he breathes into both of them the breath of life. And then, beginning in verses 8 to 15, you and I see that God gives Adam three very important things. First, he gives him a garden to live in. Verses 7 to 15, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and a man became a living being. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then down in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Why did God give Adam a a garden? It was an opportunity to express his God-given personality. The word Eden means delight in the Hebrew language. It was a place of delight. It was a place where Adam could put his creative energies to work. He put him in the garden to work it, to take care of it. One of the ways that he did that is God allowed the man to name all of the animals from within the garden. That had to be a great moment. I I can't imagine any of us who wouldn't have loved to be there, if not to give our own ideas. I would have had a few of what to name this animal or that animal, at least to be able to just watch the process. You can almost feel Adam getting more and more tired in the way that he named animals. At the very beginning, you've got aardvark and Oh, let's see, duck-billed platypus. He's got these great names at the beginning. He's getting tired at the end of the day, and he's going, cat, dog, ant. When, when you get tired, you're not quite as creative. There's something about this naming of the animals that is an expression of the creative mind of Adam. God gave him that opportunity. He gave him a garden. He also gave him a second thing. He gave him a command. In Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, and the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. God gave not only this opportunity to express Adam's God-given personality, but also his God-given morality. The pattern of God's commands is very clearly seen here. First, God says, here's what you're free to do, and then he says, here's what you must not do. Now, if you have a heart to follow God, you're going to hear what you're free to do, and you're going to live your life there. If you have a heart to sin against God, you're going to hear the one thing you must not do, and you're going to live your life there, missing all the things that you are free to do. Those who feel like God is somehow trying to squelch their life, keep their life from being all that it's meant to be because he's given us commands of things not to do, they're missing out. They're missing out on all of the things that God has said you are free to to do this. We are free to do what we've been designed to do. The reason that God frees us to do these things is because he knows us. He's made us. It's our design specifications. He says, here's what you do because I know how I made you. Now, we're going to find out next time together, tomorrow, that Adam and Eve failed this test. Part of understanding who we are is understanding what happened with this command and this tree, and we'll get to that tomorrow. God gave Adam a garden. He expressed his God-given personality, a command. He expressed his God-given morality, and he gave him Eve. He gave him an opportunity to express his God-given sexuality. In verses 18 to 25, 
The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. An opportunity to express his God-given sexuality, not just sex, sexuality, the ability to relate to the opposite sex in a healthy and in a wonderful way, not competition, but completion of one another. Not I am better than you are, but I am different than you are. And because we're different, we need each other. There are two words in this passage that have the power to transform any marriage. The word wonder and the word oneness. Wonder. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Adam had this wonder, this awe that woman had been brought to him. That there was someone like him and yet so different from him. And instead of living in bitterness or in irritation at the differences, when you and I can live in wonder. Now, wonder, I know, also leads to wondering sometimes. We wonder how we could be so different and still live with each other. But when you let awe come in, that God would do such a thing, it does some wonderful things for your relationships. And also oneness. They became one. God has made you one. That is what so many of you experience. That is what so many of you desire. That's what some of you have lost or are losing. Come to those words, wonder and oneness. God says, I've created you in my image. And this is a way that he expresses his image in us. What is it about God's image, what he wants to do in your life, that you need to experience today? Let's take a minute to talk to Jesus about that. And maybe today you just need to express your God-given personality by enjoying the person God has made you to be, the things he's given you to do. Instead of complaining, enjoying. Maybe you need to express your God-given morality, seeing right from wrong, asking God for strength to resist temptation, to say yes to him. Or maybe you need to express your God-given sexuality and just say, Jesus Christ, help me to rejoice in the differences rather than being irritated by the differences. Thank you for your wisdom. Even though I sometimes question it, I never question you. And so I, I pray that I could live in a place of wonder and oneness. And I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, tomorrow, as we look at Genesis 3, everything changes for everyone. Mm -hmm.